Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come to you and we just love to be in your presence and we love to hear from you, Lord. We pray now that you would speak to us, address our lives, um, teach us, take us deeper in our relationship with you. Uh, Show us the way forward in the way of Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're in a series now that I've entitled Real Christianity. And for a few weeks, uh, I've talked to you about the fact that people do Christianity in a couple of different ways. And I thought maybe to to begin today, I might draw out a parallel between those ways and the reality of marriage. Sometimes marriage is uh, described as a loveless marriage. You might have two people who are committed to marriage and committed to one another. Two people who obviously live together and, and share life, but not necessarily in a deeply personal way. There's not a lot of affection in that kind of relationship. What people do for one another is done because I have to do it's my job, uh, not necessarily as an expression of love. Uh, people aren't close in, in the way that, uh, that they could be. They don't spend a lot of time together. They're in marriage, but there's something missing. Well, of course, there's another way of doing marriage, and that is in a relationship which is deeply loving and good. In that sort of relationship, uh, there is lots of commitment, of course, but there's also affection. Uh, There is the desire to be together and to share time together. There's the sharing of one another's hearts. There's the idea that when I serve, when I do something in this home, in this relationship, I'm doing it as an expression of love to the person that I'm married to. It's just this idea that the, the relationship is rooted in love and it's close And people love being in that relationship. Well, I guess what I'm saying is that we can do Christianity in similar ways. And the ways that I've described to you over these weeks already is um, that there's a a type of doing, a way of doing relationship with God that has at its foundation the law. And it's legalism is what it's called. I do what I do because I'm in relationship with you and I'm committed to you and I believe in you. But there's no sense of intimacy and connection and love. I do what I do not because of love for you, but just that's what's required of me. There's another way of doing Christianity, and I'm calling it real Christianity, and that has it as its foundation, grace. And and, and it exists in such a fashion that people are living in relationship with God um, because they want to, because they deeply love God for what God has done for them in Christ. And by his spirit. There's an intimacy and a connection. Not a pushing away and a distance from God. There's a drawing toward the Lord. A closeness. There's joy there. And what what I'm trying to get across. And and inviting people to. Especially those of you who need it. Is I'm inviting you into this relationship. Which is rooted in grace. Has its foundation in grace. Characterized by love and joy and gratitude. And intimacy. With the living God. I hope And I pray that God is unpacking this for you in new ways as we go week by week. Now let me say this, this sermon today really is one of those sermons about discipleship. It's it's us going deeper. It's us studying scripture in order to discover the riches that we can have when we we do go deeper in our understanding and in our um, knowledge of God, essentially, and what it means to follow with him. So today, stick with me, you know, 
Uh, let's, let's discover what God has for us. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. It's sort of the quintessential passage in the New Testament about grace. What we're going to find there, I'll tell you right now, number one, we're, we're going to discover what we're saved from. It's a bit stark. Number two, we're going to talk about how we are saved, and that's the critical piece of grace. And number three, we're going to talk about what that then means for us in our relationship with God. So let's jump into this together. I'm going to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to do it verse by verse rather than reading the whole passage through. And I'll make comment as we go. And as I said, we begin with a discussion about what we're saved from. Paul is writing to believers. He's saying, this is what you once were. I'm s- Paul is writing to believers and I'm communicating it to you now. This is what you once were as you listen to this, if indeed you're in Christ and, and you believe in him. So let's hear this together. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now that's quite a statement. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. What's being spoken of here, of course, is spiritual death versus spiritual life. Paul is saying, prior to coming to Jesus, you were not alive spiritually. There was nothing there. No knowledge of God, no awareness of God, no seeing what God was doing in your life, no experience of his spirit, certainly no faith in God and definitely no love for God. People, before they come to salvation, before they enter into a relationship with God, they're spiritually dead. There's nothing. Well, from that reality then comes verse 2. In which, and this is describing a spiritual death, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, that's a mouthful, isn't it? (laughs) That, That is quite a statement to make about people who haven't come into faith in Christ. What's being said here, though, is essentially that these folks who were spiritually dead, used to be us, essentially are living like everyone else lives in the world according to the world's thoughts, the world's values, the the way the world understands what's right and wrong, morality and so forth. They're doing it under the power of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now that's the devil, Satan. And it says, he, the devil, who is at work in those who are disobedient. The devil in this circumstance is at work in people. And what it produces is disobedience before God. This is strong stuff. People who, by definition, aren't living in obedience, they're living in disobedience because of all the reasons described. It goes on, verse 3, the beginning of verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Now stop there. Just take a minute with that one. Uh, It's talking about the reality of the desires of the flesh, the desires that come from this fallen human body, uh, which produce the desires which cause us to do that which is wrong, contrary to the law of God. Paul was talking about this in in Galatians um, chapter 5, when he describes the, the acts of the flesh. Same author, writing to a different church, the one in Galatia, but talking about the very same thing. And there he writes in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and following, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, 
idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now again, that's, that's quite a list, right? <laughs> that, that, is, that is really something of significance. And it is set in contrast to the next verses which describe the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those things which when the Spirit of God is present within us, when we've become spiritually alive, the Spirit of God produces all those good things. But lacking that Spirit, it's us living out the desires of the flesh. And then we go back to the the conclusion of verse 3 again, where it says this. Um, Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. It's like, yikes, wrath? Those who aren't in Christ, those who are spiritually dead, those who are living in disobedience under the power of the Spirit deserve the wrath of God? Well, yes, the Bible is consistent with this. What wrath is, is God's controlled yet persistent resistance to the reality of sin anywhere he experiences it. People say, well, God can't be like that. He's a God of love. It's because God is a God of love that he is wrathful when he encounters sin and when he sees it. Because God loves people so much that he knows that when they embrace sin and when when sin, if you would, embraces them, it's only going to damage them and harm them. And he gets angry by that. He's angered by the power and the presence and the influence of sin. He fights against it. See, God is a God of holiness and God is a God of justice. And his response cannot be otherwise to sin than wrath. And of course, then, we know and believe that judgment uh, is, is, is following that which is experienced in that way. So in a very stark sort of way, Paul begins this chapter by saying this, this is the circumstance that people need saved from. I say to you right now, if you have been saved, if you've come into a relationship with Christ, if you've come to believe, God has saved you from that. It's a phenomenal reality. It's a remarkable thing that God has done in you. So, the bleak situation that we begin with, and then we move to verse 4, and we begin to encounter the good news. Amen, how we need the good news. Because Paul describes then how we're saved. Let me read verses 4 and 5 to you. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Remarkable verses. Because of God and who he is in his character, because of his love and his great mercy. This is God. This is who he is. It says God saved us, essentially. It says, and I quote, he made us alive when we were dead in transgressions and sins. You see, this is where grace kicks in. It's what God does for us when we don't deserve it. See, this is the reality. We're described as people who are spiritually dead. And it is God who makes us spiritually alive. Can't be more clear. The text is saying, people, you don't save yourselves. It's God who acts so that you end up saved. It's God who accomplishes this thing. 
See, dead people can't save themselves because dead people can't do anything. It's an impossibility for someone who's not spiritual, who is spiritually dead to move beyond that state. So yes, we don't save ourselves. What happens is that God, out of love and mercy, acts for us. And he changes our hearts by his spirit. It's called regeneration. So that we begin to see what we couldn't see before. We begin to see our need, our sinfulness in relationship to the law. We begin to see the cross and know what Jesus did on the cross for us. The plan of salvation becomes known by the work of God in us. And then God gives us faith as a gift. We're going to read that in a minute. <laughs> and, and that gift is provided to us so that in the end, we have this desire, which wasn't there before when we had that old heart. We have this desire to say yes to God and we receive Christ by faith. This is the work of God in us. It is he who creates it by his spirit in our lives. Now, a lot of people say, no, 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 I, I save myself. It's, it's not about God, it's about me. Um, I have to believe, don't I? I have to say the prayer. I have to respond to God and say, yes. And I say again to you, no, God saved you and he gave you faith and he touched his, your heart so deeply that your heart was changed so that you wanted to say yes. It's his action. Well, how about folks who say, and we've referenced this before, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I save myself by being good. I live a good life. I do what's moral and right. I'm kind to people. I go to church, whatever. And in the end of the day, God will look at my life, and he'll see more good than bad, and he'll let me into his heaven. And I say, absolutely not. Let, let me read to you these great verses, the famous ones from Ephesians chapter 2. They're, they're verses eight, uh, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Boy, what a remarkable statement. It's not of us. It's not what we do. It's what God has done, which leads us to this place of faith and salvation in Christ. Remarkable. Remarkable. There are two words that describe these two ways of doing Christianity they want to present to you. Um, the first way, and, and I've described it to you uh, previously, it's, it's the way not necessarily of loving relationship. It's of demand and it's of striving to gain acceptance. Uh, it's of, of burden, if you would. It's hard. The word here is do. Because it's all up to me to do what is required to gain the acceptance of God. The focus is on me and it's on my behavior. Well, the other way of doing faith, of course, grows out of a grace-oriented faith, a faith that is rooted upon, has the foundation of grace. And the word is not do and what I have to do. The word is done. And what God has done for us already in Christ I don't have to do anything in order to come into a relationship with God because God has done it all. These verses are telling us. We just respond by believing it because God's opened our eyes to see it. Now, Paul speaks in another instance in Philippians. I'm going to turn to Philippians now. 
Um, and, and there's a passage in Philippians in chapter 3 that describes his transition. Uh, he has been a man who has been a Pharisee, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he was called. Uh, he was a group of people who lived their life by the law. They were thought of as the moral guardians of their society. They would walk around and judge people for breaking the law. These people had created over 600 laws that everyone was expected to follow. Half of them were from the Bible and they were good. They were the law of God, revealing God's will to us, the way of life and of blessing. But half of them roughly were made up and not of God necessarily at all. You know, uh, the work that, uh, that was required of people, the focus was on what they were doing. The focus was on them and their accomplishment. Well, Paul had that dramatic experience of Christ in the road to Damascus. Christ saved him. He just acted and the man believed. And then Paul wrote this in Ephesians, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. says this, But whatever were gains to me, that's all the righteous acts that he had done, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of my, uh, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You you, you can't get more clear. (laughs) The reality is God saves us. We simply believe it. God does the work. He's done it in Christ on the cross. He's done it by his spirit in the work that he does in our hearts. And he gifts us with this thing called faith so that our eyes are open and we just say, yes, Lord, yes. Forgive me my sin. Come into my life. I will follow after you. All evidence of what the Lord has done in us. Now listen, I've talked about the problem. You know, and it's a significant problem that every human being has. I've talked about how we are saved. We are saved by God, not by ourselves, by the work of his spirit. I want to talk about what it produces in our lives for a little while. Um, What I want to tell you, again, is this, that when we grasp grace, and I hope you're grasping it deeper and deeper as we go, it literally changes our relationship with God. Our experience of God is is made new. You know, if if I don't uh, have to do because it's all done, it leads me into something new in that relationship. And I want to go to a, a well-known passage of Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus is addressing the people of his day. These people are uh, people who are living under the influence of Pharisaism, legalism, law orientation, which focuses, the, focuses them on themselves and what they're accomplishing. And Jesus recognizes in them that they, this is just a burdensome way to do faith. And it's wearying, it's tiring. And he comes along and he, he speaks these words in Matthew 11. Uh, we'll start first in 28. He says to them, come to me. Oh, what powerful words, huh? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest Jesus says. Um, It's a remarkable statement that Jesus makes. As burdened, wearied people, weighed down by the law, 
focused on their, their own righteous acts consistently. Jesus comes along and says, that way of doing faith has nothing to do with me. Come and follow me, he says. What he's saying to these folks is, I'm going to go to the cross and I will do the work for you so that you don't have to do it anymore. I I am going to do what is required. I will satisfy the demands of the law. Your righteousness then, my righteousness then can become yours as I take your sin and judgment upon myself. You will be righteous in the eyes of God and that will be a done deal. Come into relationship with me. Move beyond demand and uh, burden and weariness and experience rest. Now, rest is a powerful word in the Bible. Uh, Immediately when we read the Bible and we have a knowledge of all of Scripture, our minds go to Genesis chapter 1, where God creates for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. He, He entered into Sabbath rest. The word Sabbath means rest. And instead of striving and working and and building and creating, God sits down and he looks at what he creates and he sees it as good, he enjoys it. He steps away from work and striving to rest. Out of that comes the experience of the Sabbath day, which the Jewish people followed and I still feel we should follow in our experience in life today. A day when we just stop working and we step away from the demands of of our vocations and we relax, we rest, we are restored, we enjoy God, we enjoy one another. It's a day for us, Jesus said, a day for human beings, not not for us to serve the Sabbath, but for the Sabbath to serve our need and our interest. And a very cool passage in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, you can look it up later, talks about how it is that we are not to let people judge us because we eat or drink or because of various festivals that the Jewish people observed, or even judges because of how we live on the Sabbath. And Paul goes on to say this, that the Sabbath is simply a shadow of what was to come in Christ. What he's saying is Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our rest. Enter into relationship with him. And we come to that place where we realize the focus in our faith is not on me and it's not on what I do and it's not on my behavior because that's being taken care of. I am God's through the work of Christ and through the work of the Spirit of God so that now I can sit back and I can rest in him. Relax. No more burden which leads to weariness, but rest. And I want to tell you, my friends, when we can come to that place of resting in Christ and no longer striving for salvation, no longer focusing on ourselves, but focusing on him, our relationship with God becomes like a deeply loving marriage. It's a relationship where we really love the Lord. Where we're committed to him. Where we long to be in his presence. Where there's an intimacy between ourselves and him jesus said john 15 abide in me as i abide in you in love let my words abide in you hear me as i speak into your life it's it's an experience of incredible thankfulness for what he has done for us and it's an experience where we live in praise and adoration and worship it's something we want to do it's an experience where that intimacy is there of love it's an experience of joy 
It's an experience of deeply sharing our lives with him and being glad to do so. You see, we draw close to Christ as we rest in him. I want to tell you, my friends, when we realize what God has done, our relationship with him changes. When we realize that the focus cannot be, need not be, shouldn't be on ourselves and our behavior, and we can turn our gaze away from that to focus on the beauty of God and his mercy and his love for us. Boy, we come to this place where we are just over the moon about God. And we're running toward him and, and living life with him. Thankful. Glad that we are his and that he is ours. It takes us to this last text that I'll read to you. Back to Matthew 28. Uh, uh, sorry, Matthew 11. I'm going to read from verse 29 now to, to 30. Jesus says, After come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's my teaching, my understanding of faith. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He's talking about a different relationship with God. He's saying when you come into this relationship with me, following me isn't hard. It's not burdensome. It's not demanding. It's easy. The burden's light. It doesn't weary you. It gives you life and vitality. See, what he's saying is enter into this dynamic that you experience in grace and live out of the heart that has been made new by God and you will long to do what's right and good. You will long to obey because that's what's in your heart. You will be living in a way that it's just you being you because of what God has created you to be. To be. And you live in what I want to describe to you as real Christianity. A relationship where, which is deep and loving and filled with gratitude. It's a relationship from which godliness and holiness just flows because of what you know God has done for you. You love him back in obedience. You want to honor him by being faithful to him. It's in your heart. You're empowered by his Holy Spirit. And your relationship is one of deep, intimate love. I want to conclude by saying this. The world is full of non-believers, people who have not yet come to believe in Jesus. And they understand this faith of ours to be a faith which is really about what we do. It's about obeying a moral law, a moral code, about, as I said previously, appeasing an angry God because that's what the world thinks religion is other than in Christianity. I want to tell you, my friends, we cannot think of this faith as the world does. We've got to move into something deeper, something more profound, something that is real Christianity. Let's, let's refuse to embrace an understanding of legalism focused on ourselves so that we might somehow please God. Be done with it. And let's live our lives in intimate relationship with him. Here's how I want to conclude today. Have you come to that place where you were in deeply loving relationship with God? 
Do you want to be in his presence? Do you want to hear him speak to you from his word by his spirit? Are you eager to live in obedience to him? Do you want to share your heart with him honestly about your struggles and your joys? Is there that sense of closeness and connection that brings you life and joy? You see, there it is. An understanding of real Christianity which has grace as as its foundation will produce that very thing. Because it's not about you anymore and how well you do or how badly you do. It's not even about you. The focus isn't on you, it's on God. This God of incredible love, this God of incredible mercy, this God who delights in his children, this God who longs for them to be with him and longs to bless them, even though they don't deserve it. I want to challenge every single person who's listening today. Ask God to reveal to you the depth of understanding and grace that he can. Ask him by his Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see the truth of these things so that your relationship with him, if necessary, can be revolutionized, dramatically changed to become the relationship that he longs to have with you, that he wants you to have with him. This is his will for you. This is in the nature of a relationship that we have with God. Get there under his guidance. Study the texts. Talk to people. Talk to me if you need to so that we can know the relationship that the Lord Jesus died for us to know that we can live in this relationship with God that brings us life and life eternal. Let me pray. Gracious God, it is so easy for us to think as legalists. It's so easy for us to just embrace the natural human tendency to think that our relationship with you is dominated by the law, which focuses our attention on us and our behavior. God, we pray that you will help us to focus our attention not on human beings and their behavior, but on you and what you have done for us in Jesus. God, We pray that this can become the reality for everyone who's listening. Make it real. Give them that relationship of intimate love with you that we might have because of grace. And this we pray in the precious and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.